Welcome to Modern Homemakers. You're viewing, listening to a podcast today about staying, and Donna has staying after the wedding in mind. Here's Donna. <laughs> and all of you wonder, who is that male voice? That is David Otto. And we're, as you know, uh, getting close to the time when these podcasts will no longer come to you live. And so we're talking about marriage. Who better to have in the studio with me? And there is this thing called producing. Now, I am one of the pioneers of podcasting. It's really funny for me to say that because all of you who have been around at all, you've heard this story many times. But the staff said, Donna, we think you should podcast. And I said, okay. What is podcasting? That is 17, almost 18 years ago. And you, of course, all know about podcasting now. So we are uh, close to taking Modern Homemakers off the air uh, with modern shows and leaving a lot of remnants and supplies for you. And we'll talk about that as we go on. As we wind down, I'm doing a series on staying, staying. Staying in a leaving culture. Uh, many years ago, I did a conference called the Counterculture Standing Woman. And I think it takes a standing woman to be a staying woman. And before we are finished our airing, I will do a lesson on what a standing woman is. But in our culture, disposable thinking, uh, practices, habits, disciplines that would enlarge a quitter's heart, they start and they stop and they quit. And they quit so many times they stop even starting. There is power in staying. And the decision to stay or leave a situation is a complex one. It's often influenced by a variety of factors personal values, financial values, emotional attachment. Staying is not just a word you say, okay, I'm going to stay. When Jesus cracks open our heart, we say, that was revealing. And then we walk out, out of the situation with God and we put down our anchors and we start staying with Jesus. So staying is an important proposal. It's a, an important idea. It's something we look forward to in that we look forward to the end of our lives. We look forward to the end of each day, each month, each year. We set goals. We organize our lives. Staying is a way of accomplishing plans that we've had or ideas that we've had throughout our lifetime. And if we stay with it, there will be an outcome that is what we initially planned or decided to do. So staying in a leading culture is a piece of my life. It has been something I have not only practiced, but something I've written about. And now in these last weeks, I want to talk about staying 
and staying in marriage and staying after the wedding. I don't know if you know this, notice this, but I certainly have. More and more we find weddings are getting either bigger and bigger or we're not having them at all. Very interesting statistic indicates that their marriage is doing well. Well, marriage isn't doing so well. They're just less divorces, and they're less divorces because people aren't even getting married. Now, I'm talking about the marriage relationship as God designed it, and I'd like to spend our next two shows together talking about what I consider the nine essential essential nine essential concepts of marriage. And I'm going to give them all nine of them to you right now. And then in this show, we'll look at part of them. And the second show, we'll look at the rest. The institution of marriage, which we talked about the last time we were together. Forgiveness and reconciliation. Respect. Acceptance and trust. Headship and submission. And don't worry, girls. I have... God's answer, according to his word, about what those words really mean. Intimacy. Mystery. Grace upon grace, or simply gracious. And kindness. Now, all of these words are found in God's word, and I'm going to refer you to the portions of scripture that you can find these concepts. Making marriage permanent... Um, has a lot to do with knowing what the Bible says about marriage and knowing what the Bible says about divorce. Uh, I've been married over 53 years. I have a lot of marriage years in me. And I want to say to you that there have been more than one time in my lifetime that I said, this is it, I'm through, I'm done. I don't know if I ever said, give me a divorce, but I sure thought it. Amen. Be- <laughs> No comments from the peanut gallery, David. Um, it's, it's, if you feel guilty about having had that thought, I hope I can absolve you of that. <clears throat> we are human beings. We've been asked to do something that is impossible without God. The older I get, the more women and men and families I meet with, The more I study God's word, the more I recognize that this idea of marriage, not the idealized marriage that a lot of young people put on marriage, but the idea, the idea that God constituted, instituted about marriage is impossible without God. So let's talk a little bit about these concepts. Well, as you know, Modern Homemakers has been around for a lot of years, 37 altogether, First, as homemakers by choice, and then modern homemakers. And the theme has always been the same. We've never never deviated from the four main subjects that come from the book of Titus, that we talk about who you are as a woman, who you are as a wife, who you are as a mother, and who you are as a homemaker, and in that order. The Bible is the Lord's manual for marriage. The culture is not. The culture is not. I I want to say that three times. The culture is not. And if you're looking for cultural help to stay married or to resolve difficulties in marriage, you will not find it in the culture. 
Marriage matters to God. He instituted it, as we talked about the last time we were together, by creating man from the dust in his image and woman from the man's rib that he would feel a closeness to her that they might become one so that they might introduce ones more human beings to this earth. And marriage matters to God. How women find fulfillment um, is in answers by what God calls us to do. The principles found in the scripture are designed to make what matters to God most important to us as women. And I believe that women need to know these four things uh, are the basic concepts of marriage, nine, but these four things. I believe you need to know it's never too late. It's never too late. I am telling you, as I get older, I get this sense, I'm like, it's too late. This could never change. It's too late. I mean, after all, I'm older. After all, the world is getting, no. Remember, in God, it is never too late never too late. Two, applying his concepts are counter-cultural. Now, this may sound appealing in a classroom or a book that uses that phrase, but it's often very difficult as you are on the edges of sometimes altogether out of the mainstream and finding how to deal with these edges. I remember a young woman, her name is Lori, who said, I don't know how to build my husband up. And I said, well, the scripture will give you many good ideas on how to do that. I am happy to say that that couple who struggled in the early years of marriage are now married for 28 years and have two children and three grandchildren. Marriage is more important than parenting. Marriage is more important than parenting. And I know that we come together to become one, to create ones. And that makes it a very important process because we have to propagate the earth. But marriage is more important than parenting. And so does that mean marriage is more important than children? Yes. Yes. And lastly, you can be, you can be a godly woman, wife, and mother. You can. God gives you all of the tools and all of the strengths to do it. Can you do it on your own? You cannot. So it's my intention to help you fill up your toolbox with sound biblical principles and practical advice. Being here today makes you more courageous than some because you're willing to sit down and listen and talk about what it takes to um, know these concepts and then do them. Marriage is ridiculously easy, fun, romantic, life-changing, and hard all at the same time. There's no doubt about that these things all come together at one time. The first time I said there were many days when I wished I had never seen David Otto, much less married him, I got some odd looks. But if you haven't thought that or felt that or said that, well, I want to say to you that maybe you're odd because what God has called us to do is a miracle of his grace in us. And none of us are created with the ability to be a good wife, a great wife, a good husband, a great husband, to live through this in relationship. Marriage at its heart, it demands authenticity. Believe me, it is authentic to say that David is not perfect, that Donna is not perfect, 
We grew up in very different and opposite worlds. What I desired in marriage and family and home and home environment and personal character were very different than David's um, desires. My parents were even married when I was born. My dad married my mother when I was three years old, and my family was destructive, scattered, selfish, godless, and toolless. I can remember when I was in my 40s thinking of the things that God had given me to learn about how to live my life in faith, how to live my life as a wife, and I thought, my little mother, she was little, she was five foot four. Oh, that's very close to how I'm getting to be these days as I age and shrink a little bit. But my mom had no tools. She wasn't faithful in her walk with God. She didn't use the Bible as a tool. She didn't have a church of people to encourage her in community. She had very few close friends. Our house was barren and sterile. When we moved here to Phoenix, a woman who was destined to be one of my dearest friends, very intentionally, we sat together in our early relationships and we looked through photo albums just to get to know one another. She had hers and I had mine and we looked at these pictures and we talked about it. And there I was, a tall, thin, kinky, curly hair, bigger than life hair, in a light pink spaghetti strap dress, weighing 103 pounds, with a boy from high school whose name I barely remembered. And we stood in front of this picture, was in front of a 16-foot fireplace with bookshelves on either side. And my soon-to-be dear friend, then new friend, said, Stop! Where were you? was such a stark place. And I replied, in my living room. I replied, not at all knowing what she was talking about. And she said, there's nothing, absolutely nothing on the mantel, in the fireplace or on the bookshelves. And that day, I cried and laughed all at the same time because I came to realize for those things, those years, that had been my home. I love beautiful things. I love making home a welcome place, maybe because our home was so barren and so sterile. It's not a blame on my mom. It's not an unkindness toward my mom. It was what her toolkit looked like. So these nine concepts that I want to give to you are tools I'd like you to put in your toolbox and use so that your life will not be a sterile, ungracious place to be. The Bible affirms that men and women were created for one another and that it's not good that man should be alone. He created a helper, a companion, a confidant. She was flesh of his flesh, his counterpoint. Now, that's very different than a pretty woman on his arm or very different than a woman who will bear children that will have his name and foster his life. This was a companion, a confidant. I think part of the problem in marriage in 2023 is that marriages are first marriages, second marriages, third marriages, and that intimacy of tell me everything. My husband and I attended a wedding a a month ago in Texas of a young couple who I've known, we've known the husband, the, the man, since he was born. And there were this young couple, their first of everything, and how easy it is to have a confidence in that, 
how easy it is to tell everything, to say all, to be free. But when you've been married or you've been wounded or you've had hard times in marriage that aren't resolved, it's much harder to have a companion who is a confidant, who you recognize as flesh of your flesh, given from God to him, an amazing gaze, gift, a helpmate, receiving and giving as a cycle. Did Adam receive her as a gift, or did they just start out and be married? Did she understand what a prize she was that God had made her to live with Adam? I don't know. I wasn't there. But she represents God no matter what Adam felt as God, as Adam's helper. The point seems to be lost in this long line of concerns about roles and submission and work and finance and who cares for the children and who, you know, the only question that we don't have these days is who bears the children. Women still bear the children. I don't care if you're adopting them. I don't know what your living style is, but women still bear the children. She was enough, and she was to be enough to the point that God said that you are to leave your mother and father and become one. The Lord himself shows the significant, unbreakable union by recalling what the plan of the Creator had in the beginning. They were no longer two, but one. Matthew 19 and 6 says, No longer one flesh, what God has joined together, let no man put asunder. So we're to procreate. We're a gift to one another, a gift from God to be together and to be one whole and not two who look alike. David and I had a lovely older couple in our church. Oh, this is 30 years ago. And she was a seamstress, and polyester material had just come into fashion, and she was a great seamstress. And she made matching clothes for her. Mabel was her name, and Stan was his name. And they made, she wore matching clothes, like they would wear red and white clothes. And he would have white pants on, and a red vest, and a white jacket. And she would have some complimentary red and white. And they were darling. And she did all the sewing, and it was immaculate. And we used to laugh and say, are we going to look like that when we get to be their age? And now we're their age, and I have to tell you, I'm still wearing black and white, and every so often David comes out of his closet, and there he is in black and white, and we look like Mabel and Stan. I want to say that's a holy thing. That's a holy thing that we look more like, we act more like, we don't have as many difficulties coming to decisions because we fought and argued and agreed and come to live together in mostly an understanding way. The second point of these nine points is forgiveness and reconciliation. Forgiveness and reconciliation. I love circles because circles never end. And if I were standing in front of you, I would make a very big circle on the board. And then I would begin at the top, and I would put a cross at the top of the circle. And then as I went to the right, I begin going all the way around the circle until I got back up to the top. And the words I would put on this circle would be words about how forgiveness and reconciliation actually work from the scripture. One, there's sin. We all have sin. 
we all offend this someone. We do it all the time, whether we want to or we don't want to, because we're human. I can still remember the day I shed this notion that I would never sin again. Uh, honestly, now, if you know Enneagram numbers at all, I am a perfect one wanting to be more perfect than I already am because I'm a perfect one and ones are perfect. Now, that's a joke, all of you. But I thought at some point I was never going to sin again. And then I would be so mad at myself when I did. And then I recognized that sin is a part of my life. Less and less as I have confidence in God and my experience in life. And But when I leave this earth, when I meet Jesus face to face, will be the only time that I will then begin to live a sin-free life. The second part in that circle is that I'm willing to acknowledge my offense, my sin. I did it. I said it. I acknowledge it. It's very hard to ask for forgiveness or make any changes if we can't acknowledge it. And then we confess it. We actually have to say, I did this. I'm caught. You got me. I sinned. I, we, we have to acknowledge that we did it. If we just act like, or the, the thing that's probably the most difficult about sinning against one another and coming to forgiveness and restitution is we do it really quickly. Will you forgive me? Or we send our children in. Would you would tell your brother you're sorry and forgive him? And the brother isn't sorry, and he doesn't understand forgiveness. So moms, as you're teaching your children, make sure you give them space and place and understanding what it is to acknowledge what they did wrong and then to want to stop doing that. Repentance comes next. His kindness, God's kindness, leads us to repentance. This is where our kindness is manifested in marriage. Demonstration of my change, turning away from my behavior, and not doing that again. I kind of wish I'd put David on the spot right before I started this lesson and said, could you tell the audience one thing that I did right there? But maybe he wouldn't even be able to think of something. But we all have a deep desire to repent, to change. And that brings us to 1 John 1, 9, that tells us that we are sincerely forgiven our attitude toward reconciliation happens when we understand that there is forgiveness and we must be willing to forgive one another. Sometimes there's another word that follows, and that's restitution. There are times when restitution can be made, when you've broken something, when you can fix it, when you can change it. Restitution is sometimes available with something that we can do. And we must be open to making that restitution. And lastly, we come all the way around the circle from sin to reconciliation. Now, I have to tell you that reconciliation does not happen in every time we have a sin offense against someone and we ask for forgiveness. Because reconciliation means that you are now more at peace, which is more possible within you than you can imagine. And that is how reconciliation happens. I, I used to tell the story about two cars, A and B. They parked next to each other every day at the office. A pulled in, B pulled in every day, A, then B, A, then B. And one day, A's already pulled in, and B pulls in and hits car A. 
time does not heal this situation. The car B goes into the office and says, I hit your, I could hit your car, and, and I want to make reconciliation, and I want to get it fixed. And car A says, great, I'll have my car fixed, and I'll bring you a check. I mean, I'll bring you a bill. And B says, okay, and I'll give you a check. But then A says, and I never want you to park next to me again. Ah, well, there was restitution, but there wasn't reconciliation because he wants nothing to do, A wants nothing to do with B. Time does not heal. Hurt takes time to heal, but time alone does not heal. Rebuilding takes longer than building. Remember that. Rebuilding takes longer than building. Build your house well. Build your marriage well. Be a woman who offers a quick confession of things that she has done wrong. My mother's family was unreconciled, unreconciled for over 70 years. And God used me, my husband, my uncle, my aunt to bring about in a parking lot. And there's an article on the website called reconciliation in the parking lot that tells the whole story how how my uncle almost 90 years old at that time and myself brought back a forgiveness that reconstituted our families from then on matthew 25 4 says give those who need a drink feed them drink them and the lord said you gave me a drink you fed me when you did it to the least an infant in your crib a husband who's difficult, a friend who's not faithful, this model will work always. This is God's plan for reconciliation. He knew we would sin against one another. God ordained that I participate. No mandates, just a choice of me to accept God's plan. My father, who I longed for his approval for most of my adult life, for most of my life, even when I was adult. And then I came to realize that the approval I had from my Heavenly Father was enough, would always be enough. It is easy for me to say, please forgive me, God, because I know that he will constantly forgive me. I know that he will constantly draw me closer to him. I know that he will forgive and forget. Human beings cannot do what God does. Is there something that you need forgiveness? Is there something you have done that you need to talk to your husband about and ask him if he will forgive you? Is it something that might be embarrassing or difficult, might cause a breach to begin with before it turns out to be a holy experience? Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts your thoughts. Forgiveness and reconciliation found both in the old covenant and the new covenant take a believing that his thoughts and his ways are higher and better, and they are not our ways instinctively. The third is respect. We live in an increasingly disrespectful culture. My daughter's college campus, my first vision, I saw a student with his fast food bag in hand. 
He opened his car door. He got in the car. He opened, he finished eating. Then he opened his car door and put the trash bag on the ground right where his car was and drove off. And I thought to myself, may I tell you how long ago that was? <laughs> That's how many years ago is it, David? She's 53. She went at 17. Could you do that math? 35. 35 years ago. And that picture is still fresh in my mind. But do you see it? Do you see it everywhere? Do you walk through a park and see trash that someone, there was a basket a few feet away, they just left? He wanted it out of his car, and he wanted it out of his car immediately, and he didn't care about being disrespectful to anyone else. Running someone off the road, not letting them turn through the traffic, uh, any crime is, a, is an act of disrespect. It's hard to value one another more than self, especially in this society, much less a husband that is not worthy of your respect. Oh my gosh, how many of you have heard something about this in your lifetime of marriage? How do I respect someone who's not worthy of my respect? Well, none of us are really worthy of the respect we deeply desire. And Ephesians 5 and 33 says that a wife should respect her husband, and that's part A. Part B says each of you should love your wife as yourself. So it's a twofold thing. But that doesn't let us off, gals. It doesn't let you off, men. If your wife is not respectful, God still calls you to love your wife as yourself. And gals, God calls us to respect our husbands, whether they're worthy of respect or not. That's why marriage is impossible without God. I wish I had a half a penny for every woman or married couple that I've talked to in 37 years of this ministry who said, I didn't understand that. I didn't know how. I found she was unlovable. She was loud. She was difficult. She didn't do things the way I did things. He was so disrespectful to so many things, including me. How could I show respect? So the issue is really about your choice to do what God called you to do or to respond to the person you're living with. Doing what you're supposed to do is not a team sport. It's an individual sport. You win or lose. And this is the most certain concept with a promise from God. Respect is a verb. It involves action on our part. To feel or show honor or esteem, consider or treat with deference or courtesy, to show consideration for. That's a Webster dictionary. We are created in God's image for his pleasure, and he calls us to regard, to outdo one another with preference for one another. That's Romans. Outdo one another. If she opens the door, you open the next one. It, it's, a, it's almost like a visual sign that says, what can I do to get ahead of that person in showing respect? showing respect for everyone. I was a young adult before I realized that I had not been taught, certainly not taught in my home for what respect was. For myself, for my parents, for my things, for my culture, for my community. 
I was the black sheep for certain in my classroom, not only because I dressed in a funny way, a poor way, and I was an ugly duckling with a big nose and skinny body and long curly hair, but it was also because I did not know how to respect. I married a man who lived in a house full of respect. In every way, they were respectful to one another. There were other missing things, but there were positive absolute respect for one another and it was expected of you to respect one another so we learn to do this and moms as you're raising children make sure to show them respect as you expect them to show you an excellent wife is the crown of her husband she causes shame to him is like rottenness to his bones proverbs 12 and 4 loving respect for your husband builds him up not respecting him tears him down. Did you ever have a pity party? I have. I often say, if you're going to have a pity party, please don't invite too many guests. Do it alone or do it with a close friend. Because once you start down that road of pitying for yourself, you, you, it's just very hard to turn it. Respect is not earned by our actions, but by our obedience. I want to say that again. Respect is not earned by actions, but by our obedience. No matter what my husband does or doesn't do, his actions is not what earns the respect that I'm called to give to him. He earns the respect I'm called to give to him because that's what God called me to do. It's a simple obedience. Elizabeth Elliot used to say that all the time. It's simple. It's simple. And then she would add, but it's not easy. The black and whiteness of that, uh, after several years of hearing her say that, I began to understand. It's a very simple thing, but it's just not easy. How many times have I realized before I said it and then wished I hadn't said something? The wise woman builds her house and the foolish woman tears it down with her very own hands. Proverbs 14 and 1. I I talk too much. I I'm too casual. I was disrespectful. Uh, I didn't intentionally wake up to tear down my family, but I was doing it. And I'm calling you to not tear down, not your family, not your girlfriends, not your children. Don't rub in mistakes. Don't remind. Uh, don't punish with no sex or no dinner or no conversations. Kindness leads to repentance. Heap coals of love on the heads of those you love. I was called once um, to write a respect letter. It was a part of a course I was taking, and it wasn't about respect. It was a very general course, but part of the assignment was to write a letter of respect to someone and um, couldn't be a family member. And I thought, I don't know how to write a letter of respect. And I thought immediately of the old show that I still love to watch reruns of, and that's Blue Bloods. And Blue Bloods has the family supper. You know, they always show up. They're respectful of the time, the date, the family. There's there's elder respects for Pop and for the men in blue. Uh, And they showed respect for one another. And I think when I had to write the letter of respect, I realized that 
I had not learned um, as a child what under, to understand what respect was. But as an adult, I had come to understand what respect was, and I began to practice it. And when I finally got to writing the letter, I found that it was much easier than I expected once I made the commitment to who I was going to write it, and then I was going to discover what was respectable about them. Remember that one of the divorce case studies proves, the majority of divorce case studies prove that the single highest percentage of reasons why they divorce is disregarding even the basic respect for human kindness to one another. And then lastly for today, acceptance. God's acceptance of us. Ephesians chapter 1 verses 5 and 6. I know you can hear me turning my pages. Uh, For years I tried to put little tabs in my pages, but it still meant turning the pages, so here I'm still doing it. Ephesians 1 verses 5 and 6. He destined us for adoption as his children through Jesus Christ, according to the good pleasures of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. God accepts us. He takes us who we are. We are justified by faith, um, by Romans 5 and 1. In every mistake I made, I was not certain of this acceptance. Shame and dysfunction continue to grow in my life because that's how I was taught as I grew up. God is fully satisfied with me this very day, this very moment. When I could pause right now and tell you five or six, it's early in the day, five or six things that I did that were doofus-like. What was I thinking? Why did I do that? The man I cut off on the road because I was late and driving too fast. God is still fully satisfied with me. If God be for me, then who can be against me? And I think who can be against me is especially me. If there's anyone who can be against me, it's me. Do you feel that way? Do you feel like you're harder on yourself than anyone else? I think my husband would agree that, yeah, people have been hard on me. Not many. People have been harsh with me. Not many. I have lived an enormously graced and grateful life. People have listened to me. They have cared for me. They have been a part of ministry that we have done together. I have a vast array of people who I would call friends. Typically, we think like God thinks when all things are going well. But when I biff it, I forget to think how God thinks. Oh, I just biffed it. And and now let's just move on. My basis for accepting David cannot be on his basis of what he does. I accept David as God made him. Do I like some things about him better than others? Yes. Do I wish he'd change some things? Yeah, always. I'll always be that way, I'm sure. But more and more, I see those things less. And more and more, I see the the things that I love about him. Oh, yeah. I thought he watched too much football years ago. Mm, I think he probably still watches too much football. But guess what? I finally learned the game. And I like to watch football too, not as much as he does. I think I learned to accept it. I I think I've learned to accept the way he does things, the way he works, 
the way he attends to our church, the way he prays, the way he has been the head of our house, the way and how he reads his Bible. Would I say he should read it more? I think everybody should read it more. But I have come to see in David the differences of who we are, and I see less of his differences and more of the things that God has showed me about his wonder, his love, his care for others. He, as a man who is worthy of respect, and I pray that I have given him that respect to the best of my ability, and I ask God to forgive me in the places that I have not accepted and respected him. So, these concepts, nine concepts of marriage, the kind of concepts that will keep you in a staying relationship. Today we looked at institution of marriage, forgiveness and reconciliation in marriage, respect in marriage, acceptance and trust in marriage. Thank you for being a part of Modern Homemakers. And as Donna always says at the end of her podcast, remember, the common begin but the uncommon finish. Make this an uncommon day as you work to stay after the wedding.